Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news that you are able to do not just what we think or what we hope, but exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. I pray that tonight you would address the doubts in each one of our minds that the areas that we do not believe you are able to accomplish your good purposes, you would reveal to us very clearly from the truth and the power of your word that even there, yes, even there, you are able to accomplish your good purposes even when we are hopeless. Encourage us and challenge us tonight by the power of your word. For your kingdom's sake, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite Yeji to come up and do tonight's scripture reading. Tonight's scripture reading is from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In an article in Wired magazine, the author Samantha Submaranian, that's a great last name, talks about a city in Macedonia called Veals. Everybody say Veals. She describes the situation sort of like this. Just before bedtime in the once thriving metropolis, at least for the former Yugoslavia, it was a thriving metropolis, now a quiet, sleepy town, just before bedtime, there's a man named Boris who prepares five posts of fabricated headlines linking to made-up tabloid-style stories about American politics. Anybody see where this is going? Boris makes considerable amounts of money from the ads on his fake news website. He begins sharing those, uh, those uh, stories he created the night before as soon as he wakes up in the morning and he goes on throughout the day as the shares and the comments and the likes pile up. And with them, the ad revenue from the ads that are on these sites. See, the more people who click the link, the more money he makes. To him, it's a harmless way to make a buck. But to people here in the United States of America, those whose opinions and political perspectives in some part were shaped by those stories he created would disagree. Not nearly as harmless. You know, this concept uh, known as fake news is widely debated now in the media because some believe it influenced the political uh, outline of our country. Tonight, I want to talk about the fake news that you and I are consuming that may be shaping our opinions and our spiritual perspectives. 
All of our actions, our values, our beliefs, our loves, our relationships, they are all based in large part on our perspective or our worldview, the lens through which we see the world around us has a powerful effect on the way that we experience the world we live in. You hear that? So how we view the world, what we think of when certain things happen, has a lot, plays a large role in the way that we actually live out our life, our lives. Uh, so tonight, let's talk about the fake news that's shaping our opinions and our spiritual perspectives. The verse that Yeji just read, um, I want to put that uh, back up on the, on the screen one more time. Uh, I'm gonna go th- we're going to go through this, and we're going to see that in this one verse, in the midst of this passage we've been going over the last few weeks at Connection Church with the theme of victory, Paul breaks down some very important concepts that can help shape our worldview if we buy into them as legitimate, authoritative news. He says, and we know, that's where we're going to stop first. And we know. You see, the first thing I want us to see tonight is that uh, we're going to have three points. With God, three things change. The first point is this. With God, our doubt becomes faith. Say, faith. faith. With God, our doubt becomes faith. Those first three words of Romans 8.28 are powerful and should not be overlooked. And we know. See, Paul is concerned that his readers have confidence in whatever is to follow. He doesn't want them to think or suppose or wonder. He wants them to know. He wants them to know. But I ask you, how can you know That for those who love God, all things are working together for your good. That's what Yeji just read. That's the the finishing part of that. He says, and I want you to know that all things are going to work together for good for those who love God. How can you know that? Consider at least these three ways. Uh, First, because God has told you. We can know that this is true based on the fact that God has said it. Also, we can know this because our past experience on a small scale tells us this. This is a common theme across our culture, not even just inside of our own religion or our own faith of Christianity. This is a common theme that when you go through hard times, Just hold on, because there's a light at the end of the tunnel, right? When you're in school, your parents tell you that about school. You just keep studying, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, you're going to graduate, and you can just imagine yourself stepping across that stage and into college. And then you get a couple years into that, and you realize it's not all it's cracked up to be, and the same thing happens. And then you get out of college, the light at the end of the tunnel of the work life, and the same thing happens, and then you get into marriage, and you get into kids, or you can't get married, or you don't want to get married, or you can't have kids, or you don't want to have kids. Whatever it is, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and we are told, just keep trucking, keep going. You can make it through, right? That 
uh, we're told this, that nothing good is ever easy. You guys ever been told that before? I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that, actually. Nothing good is easy. My junior high and high school football coach beat that into us, figuratively most times. That nothing good is ever easy. They would say things like, if this was easy, everybody would be out here doing it. Now I understand that's wrong. It's just because some people don't actually want to play football. (laughs) But the point he was trying to make is still true. That when you put the work in, even when it's painful and tough and hard, it's all for a good reason. When you work hard, even if you go through pain, uh, I can't speak from personal experience about this one, but I can speak because I've, I've been in the room twice when it happened. But a great analogy of this is a woman in childbirth. The beauty of life in their arms motivates them to go through the immense pain of childbirth. Just think, all of the drugs and painkillers we, con- we can conjure up, and it still hurts more than anything. But it's worth it, because there's something good. Go through the pain to get something good. So we can know that, uh, we, can, we can start to learn to know these things because God has told us. That one's first for a reason, because God is the authority Uh, But also because our past experience tells us this. This is not just something that's just unique to Christianity. It's it's, uh, a part of the human experience that we know on a pretty large scale that when you want something great, it doesn't come easy. There are pains and sweat and tears that happen along the way. So our our past experience can help us know it. But thirdly, um, also the testimony of the saints. Listen to this in the book of James chapter 1. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. James continues on a fantastic thought I invite you to read later. But for now, we'll stop right there and, and, and listen to the testimony of the saints. He says, One who doubts is like a ship tossed about by the waves. It's driven by the wind. It has no direction. You see, one of the reasons that we can know these things is because when we allow doubt to take over our minds and consume us, we become an aimless, rudderless ship tossed about by the wind and the waves. When we trust God, when we allow that doubt, I'm not saying ignore the doubt, but you answer the doubt. When it's answered and we step into faith, That is where we have the power that uh, James says is lost in verse 7. He says, that person, the doubting one, must not suppose that he would receive anything from the Lord. You see, the very fact that he is, this person, doubting and, and revoking the idea of faith 
that, for that very reason, he will not be able to ask and receive from the Lord. For we know that that happens when you ask with faith. James knows a little bit about this because he doubted Christ as well. So God has told us, our past experience reveals it to us, and the testimony of the saints confirm it and even lead us on to more thinking about it. Our doubt becomes faith with God. Because of these things, we can allow that doubt to come into faith. This is not fake news. We have been given this news from an authority we can bank on, from a reliable source. They've been vetted. God has been tried. He is able. Not only can we go from doubt to faith, also with God, number two, our hate becomes love. Our hate becomes love. Paul describes in another letter to the church that's written, at, um, written to a, a community in Colossae that we are enemies of God, having repaid his love for us with hatred. So in order to frame this scripture before I read it, just a moment, we have to remember this fact that we, even those who are placing their faith in Christ for salvation, were once enemies of God. When we understand that and remember it, not only does it help us have more compassion on our neighbors, those who do not have faith in Christ, but it also turns our hate into love. Listen to uh, Paul in Colossians chapter 1. He says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by death, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. We must remember that we have already been moved from hatred of God toward loved by God. Because of Christ... We can now say that God has shown us his love in a very real and powerful way. So how do you ensure that you are one who loves God back? The passage, Romans eight twenty eight, that we started with, and we know that for those who love God, how do you ensure that you are one who loves God? with such a frail understanding of the concept of love. We have such a frail understanding of the concept of love. I mean, just the way that we describe it when talking about uh, one another. We say the word, I fell in love. Think about that for a minute. Think about how weak that is. Think about how much that helps us if you just parse that phrase, how much that helps you understand why people can so easily just fall out of love or fall in love with someone else 
or something else or just fall into apathy or indifference. You see, since we have such a frail understanding of the concept of love, it's difficult for us to know that we are one who loves God because even in our songs, we say stuff like that. I want to love you more. I want to fall into you, into your arms. We speak about it so romantically, but we forget that the romanticism of the love that we have for God is actually part of the reason it is so frail. Because we do not rely on the foundational love that Christ has shown to us, the sacrificial love. You don't fall in love with your wife, men. You fall on the ground in death to yourself in love with your wife. Women, you don't fall in love with some guy because he sweeps you off your feet like the culture tells us. That's not how it works. That's not how real love works. Real love works because you died to yourself. You said, I am choosing to kill my desires. And when you each do that together, you find that then and only then are you truly in love. It's not falling that we do so much as it is sacrificing. It is stepping into. It is fighting with. My kids ask uh, Lindsay and I now, now they're old enough, seven and five-year-olds will notice when we argue or when we, they call it yelling. Maybe our neighbor Jim would call it yelling too. I'm not really sure. (laughs) It's interesting preaching to an audience where someone who's hearing you hears you when you fight with your wife. But they can call it out now, right? They can say, Dad, don't fight with Mom. And I'll say, listen, first of all, (laughs) you started this fight. (laughs) No, but the reason that you can have uh, intense, passionate feelings that are not just romantic and still remain in love with someone is because you have learned this key to love, that love is not about falling. Right? You don't fall into love. We don't fall into love. So how do you then, the question still remains, how do you and I ensure that we are in love with God? It's a great question with a terrible answer. The answer is you can't. I can't. I can't love God. Consider your desires. My desires. I want my tribe to increase. I want to be praised and receive credit when I do things that I believe are worthy of your praise. I want to be filled. My belly. I mean, when I eat. I want to be filled and I want to eat more. I can't get enough. And I want it to be really good food. Last night, I went down the wormhole and ate McDonald's, and I don't want that. 
I like it because it's cheap, but it's not what I want. I want more. I want better. I want to be wealthy. I want to be promoted. Think about these things in your head. What are your desires? My desire is for me. I can't love God with that desire. You have to know that you have been brought into love with God by Jesus. You didn't fall into love. It's so weak. Destroy that idol. It's so weak. You did not fall into love with God. You were brought into love with him by the work of Jesus. Those who love God are those who find their rest in Jesus, who became hated by God on the cross so that you can love him. God turned his back on Jesus so that you can love him. That's not falling. That's not frail. That's not weak. That is something that was intentional and purposeful and intense and terrible and awesome and mind-blowing and wonderful and truly romantic. That Jesus laid down his life for you and I. How can you ensure that you are one who loves God? Are you one who finds your rest in him and him alone? Our doubt becomes faith with God. Our hate becomes love with God. And thirdly, with God, even bad becomes good. Check this out. What is good? What is good for you? Haven't there been times when you have done things that you thought were good for you that ended up being detrimental to you? Maybe a very simple one, what I just said, overeating. You thought it would be good to eat that third cheeseburger or you thought it would be good to go back to the line, the buffet line, for the third or fourth time, right? You thought it would be good, it would taste so good, but it ended up knocking you off of your feet and you're laying on the couch in a coma. (laughs) Some of you have really been there. In a simple understanding of quote, good, we may see clearly that good is relative. Listen to this. I think skiing is good. Some others do. But not all of you think skiing is good. Some of you have had a bad experience. (laughs) Some of you don't even think snow and cold is good, so can't imagine why someone would want to sport in that. I think it's good snow but you may be dreading the blizzard that's coming this week what we eat how we vote where we live we all have different opinions on what is good in each of those this however is not the type of good that paul is talking about and that's comforting and we should find solace in that you see, when Paul says that, he's, that, that God is working all things together for good, we should be comforted by the fact that this good that Paul and God are speaking about, is not, they're not relative. It's not 
their, it's not Paul's idea of good. It's not my idea of good. It's not your idea of good. We should be comforted by that because different people have different ideas of what is good. And if it disagrees with yours, guess what that makes it for you? Bad. So, distinguishing between these good things we're talking about that you may disagree with my opinions on, and we can still be friends, and what they're actually speaking about here. The good that God is working toward is not subjective, but objective. Listen to Paul in a letter to the Corinthians. Check this out. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Pause there. Go back. Pause right there. Doesn't that sound beautiful? The God of all comfort. Are you comfortable right now in those folding chairs? No, but imagine you were. Imagine you were in a couch or a recliner. Nice and comfortable. You could just sit back and say, blessed be the person who made this comfortable recliner for me to sit in. This is what it sounds like Paul's going, with, going for. This is good, he says. Blessed be that God. Now, this will blow your mind, especially if you've never heard this. Listen to what he talks about after this. Verse 4. Who comforts us in all our affliction. All right? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction. Mm. God's comfort gives us compassion. That's another sermon. You should look it up somewhere. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we endure. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Does that sound familiar? It sounds like the cultural narrative we described in the beginning, that if you can make it through the pain, you will receive the prize. The light at the end of the tunnel will be yours. It's a cultural narrative because it's biblical truth. It is written on our hearts that we work and we are afflicted and sometimes it feels like suffering and it's all for our eventual comfort. But the key word that we don't appreciate very much is eventual. All of these afflictions don't sound very good, right? Like skiing or not skiing. They don't sound very good, but Paul is saying that it's working toward something that is good. It is good. While some things we think are good are not good at all, God's good always is. God's good always is. Sometimes some very destructive things seem good to us, right? I mean, think about how twisted sin has made us. Sometimes very destructive things like self-harm seem good. Sometimes very destructive things like easing our 
anxieties or angers with vices like drugs or alcohol or material purchases. Sometimes those things seem good. Like they will give some element of comfort. So how do you define the good that's spoken of here? That you work toward, but you will be comforted with. It's really big, to tell you the truth. It's a large concept, and it's woven throughout the story of Scripture. But I'll give you a few highlights right here, just three things. This, this good that God's talking about is peace. It's an old Jewish way called shalom. So it doesn't just mean peace like there's no war, but it means that there's well-being for all who are there. Everyone is filled. Everyone is content. It's full. Not in the pain way because you feel too much, but it's the perfect filled. It's servant leadership. That's the good. That's when those who are in authority do not use their positions of authority to oppress those who are not in authority. That's also why we are called as God's chosen people to always be praying, fighting, and loving. Fighting for and loving those who are victims of injustice. Systemic injustice that you can't see, you can't just pick it up, but it's just across the system. And also specific injustices that you see, that you run across. Because that is good. God honoring things are good. When God is honored, it is good. That's the good that we're working toward. And finally, this one's important. The good that God is working all things together for is good for all. It's good for all humanity. You see, because sometimes throughout our history, this good has been defined as good for only certain segments of the population, certain colors, or certain nationalities, or certain languages, or certain skin tones and hair types, certain languages, certain socioeconomic statuses. But you can rest assured that this good that God is working all things together for is good for all of humanity. The Bible teaches that clearly. If you hear of someone teaching otherwise, challenge them with the word of God in that. In conclusion, living in a world where so many people's worldview is so affected by the fake news surrounding them makes me wonder aloud in this sermon with you how much of my spiritual worldview is being shaped by the fake news I am receiving from my flesh my selfishness, the enemy, and the people around me who have no hope. How often is my doubt not becoming faith, my hate not becoming love, and the bad not becoming good? Because I have been believing fake news. You have heard 
the good news. Not because I said it, but because the word of God says it. This is the good news. That with God, doubt becomes faith. Hate becomes love. And even bad becomes good. You see, Paul wrote this letter to a people who lived in a land filled with fake news. In Rome, it was everywhere. Fake news of his own kind, Jews, and those who were not of his own kind. People were convinced that God wanted their sacrifice and their religion to ease his wrath. And Paul made it clear that Jesus came to make right those fake news stories. Jesus became hated by God, remember that, so that we can be loved by him. He was defeated on the cross so we could be raised victoriously with him. Tonight, know that for you who love God, and I hope you have discovered how you can know that you love God, all things are working together for your good. Don't allow a limited vision or the fake news surrounding you to cause doubt. He is faithful. Live with hope. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the promise of truth. Thank you that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. And Jesus being that word, that revelation yet to come down, thank you that he humbled himself to take on the form of man so that we could see the truth and hear the truth and even experience it through his actions. And I I pray that tonight you, by the power of your spirit, would bring us, bring us into love with you. That we would fully understand what it means to know that for those who love God, you are working all things together for good. Not just now good. Maybe not now good. But eternal good in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.